building here. Um, Micah is building towards justice. He is going to take us towards what it means to do justly. And um, what I hope you've seen so far is each stage of this uh, verse in Micah 6.8 um, is integral to movement towards a sustainable justice. When I think about building something like that, I, I have a seven-year-old. We love to play Legos together. We love to build Legos. And I'm always trying to teach him what it means to build something that will withstand play <laughs> for him. He, he loves to build things that are big and broad and they look fantastic. But the moment that they encounter anything that kind of bumps up against them, they fall apart. And so we always talk about, hey, bud, if you're going to put... Uh, a brick down, you need to reinforce it with another brick in order to build something strong if you're ultimately going to build something that's going to last. And that's exactly what Micah is trying to do for us here is that we started with this idea that we are receivers, that we are not to me, uh, meant to be at the center of our own story, um, that we are uh, recipients of the good that God is speaking and that we receive that with humility and we walk with God. That uh, he invites us out of the center of our own story in order to free us that we might ultimately serve others. And then tonight what we're going to talk about is the fact that God's people are characterized by those who love kindness. They love mercy. God's people are to be a people who love to love. And I hope if you don't walk away with anything else from tonight's talk, that you have an opportunity to meditate and pray, maybe when you're laying down after the dance party and, and uh, relaxing and trying to get to sleep, that you meditate on, man, God, what does it mean for me to be one of your people who loves to love? Who genuinely pursues kindness and mercy towards others. God's people are to be a people who love to love. Let's read Micah 6, 8 again. Tomorrow morning I'm going to read a little bit longer into Micah 6, um, uh, leading up to 8. But Micah 6, 8 again is this. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we reflect again upon this text, we pray that you would bring your word to life. That you would feed us by your word. That you would nourish us again with the gospel of grace. That we would see more clearly who Jesus is as the great lover of our souls of our persons, of this world, and that we, in turn, would be a people who love to love. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would dwell with us, that you would draw us near, that you would speak good words to us again, that you would challenge us towards repentance, and that you would restore us in your image, that we might be people that love to love. Bless us tonight as we spend some time in your word. In Christ's name, amen. Um, I want you to think for just a moment about one of your heroes. 
I want you to think about someone, if I was to ask you, um, uh, who is somebody in your life, or a group of people maybe, who are the most loving people that you know? They're the most charitable people that you know. And then I want to ask you this. Are those people Christians? Now I think for some of us, we go, yes, oh yes, absolutely they're Christians. Uh, My mom or or my dad or the little old lady that taught me Sunday school for so long or maybe some of that special connection that you had in a youth group or maybe a new friend you've met in RUF. That they are one of the most charitable and kind and merciful people you know. But there are plenty of other people in this room whose experience is if if we said think about the most loving person, the most charitable person you know, and then ask, are they a Christian? It would feel a little Jesus Jewish. And you would immediately go, no. Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, for some of us, we grew up in context, in church context, or family context, or we've had negative experiences with Christians uh, on our campus or back home, uh, where we almost think that charity and Christianity are antithetical, like they're oxymorons. That that we couldn't possibly uh, assume that our Christians are the great heroes of love and charity. Um, And if that is you, you are not alone. If you have those kinds of negative experiences about Christianity, uh, you're not alone. Uh, There there was a book that was published a few years ago. It's a weird book because it's mainly about statistics. Um, But it was uh, by a guy named David Kinnaman. Um, and Dave Lyons, and it was a book called Unchristian. What a genera- what what a new generation really thinks about Christianity and why it matters. And let me let me. Uh, and so what they basically did is interviewed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people about their experience with Christianity. And here are some of the conclusions they came up with. Christians are hypocritical. They are only concerned about me praying a prayer to save my soul. They're homophobic. They're sheltered. They're too politically conservative. They are judgmental. Those are the conclusions. That's the summary of the book on Christian. And the perception of outsiders is that basically Christians, when it comes to people who love to love, the the Christian experience is a net negative. That they really see those of us who are Christians in the context of the pain that they've experienced. And to associate those, those Christians with people who love to love just doesn't match up with their experience. And by the way, that may be shocking to you. It may be a reality check for you. But by the way, it's not, the, it's not just uh, those outside the church. Kinnaman and, and Lyons uh, also interviewed people who were Christians. And they even of those people who were involved in the church, they said uh, uh, less than 50% 
of uh, Christians who are in Bible-believing, gospel-centered, evangelical, whatever you call it, churches, less than 50% of those people would be considered people who love unconditionally. We got a bad rap. The, the Christian experience of people who love to love is um, way out of whack. Uh, and I don't know if that's shocking to you, because for some of us, we kind of think about Christianity and we think, you know, somebody mentions, OK, who are the most loving people, you know, who are the most charitable people, the most merciful people, the kindest people, you know, then you're ready as a Christian to rise up and receive the award. I don't know if you saw the 2018 Golden Globes where Hugh Jackman, who was nominated as the best actor for The Great Showman, which is a fun movie. Um, and I listen to the soundtrack with my kids. Um, and, but, but it's so funny to see his face at the Golden Globe when somebody else won and they pan over to him and he's just got this dumbfounded look on his face. Like, and then, of course, memes all over the internet about that because he's stunned. He's like, what? I thought I was going to win. When they were naming the characteristics of the greatest male actor of this year, he was certain he was going to win. And there are a lot of us who are Christians when we talk about love and mercy and kindness. We assume we're going to take the stage and take the award. And the reality is not that. That our world looks at the church oftentimes like um, a scene from The Walking Dead. I'm a fan of The Walking Dead. And during four, uh, season four, that was really, really slow, um, there was always these signs sporadically throughout season four showing the way of welcome to a place called Terminus. And on those signs, it would say, Sanctuary, all the above. And what you find at the beginning of season five, spoiler, is that Terminus is just a bunch of cannibals. Literally, they're saying, all are welcome, come on in, and we will chew you up and spit you out. And there are a lot of our unbelieving friends or maybe even people who have some form of faith in Jesus, but who are struggling desperately because of their experiences with Christians, who think of us like terminus. That they look at the Christian community and they say, yeah, they say, come on in. But when they come, they will chew you up and spit you out. And so how in the world do we ever get back to being a people who are known for loving to love. Loving to be kind. Because that's the building block for actually doing good in this world. As Micah is saying. That we need not only a heart posture towards the Lord. That we receive the good that he has. And we walk with him with humility. But we also look at our brothers and sisters. And our friends and neighbors. And even our enemies. Jesus said. With love and mercy. That we are Desperate to show mercy. Not so much just desperate to have the right answers or desperate to know more about God or to perfect our theology or to experience uh, you know, some emotional movement in a worship service. All those things can be good. 
But if we are not a people characterized as people who love to love, then we will never be a people who love justice and do it. That we have to be a people who love to love. And are known by loving kindness. So how do we get there? Well, I want to say two things. First, it is repenting of failing to love. The second thing is returning to the gospel to find love. The first thing that we need to do is that we need to understand and be shocked and reflect upon the fact that maybe our image as Christians is not our reality. I had this weird experience. I'm also going to do something silly here. But I had a weird experience when I was in high school. And I looked pretty much the same, about 30, 40 pounds less. But um, I was sitting around talking to my wife, not my wife in high school, um, uh, but my girlfriend then, and, um, and, and, his, and her mom and sister. And uh, we were talking somehow about hair color. That's not my normal topic. But they were talking, and I said, yeah, well, I mean, I've always been blonde. What? They looked at me, kind of like Hugh Jackman. Uh, and I was like, yeah, I mean, it's kind of sandy blonde, right? And they're like, uh, you've got dark brown hair. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I mean, and I went, and I, I literally got up from there, went into the bathroom, turned on the light. It was like, oh my God, what in the world? Who took my hair? Right? Not like who took Stephen's hair, but took my hair. Right? That, 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 that I, was, I was like, oh my goodness gracious. This is, I, I was like meeting myself for the first time. It's not very perceptive to yourself, right? Um, but what, what as Christians, we need to confront that we have an image of ourselves that probably doesn't match up with reality. And so we need to recognize that there are areas we need to repent of. And then we need to return to Jesus to teach us how to love again. And so let's talk first about those areas of repentance. But before we do that, before we dig into the idea of repentance and learning to love again, um, I, I want us to say, uh, you know, Jesus is not in a PR campaign. Jesus is not attempting to just change the general tone of what people think about Christianity. Jesus was gentle and kind and full of grace, and he was also harsh and blunt sometimes. So I'm not talking about the legitimacy that sometimes you are genuinely going to be people who love to love, and your friends and neighbors are going to accuse you of hate. Listen to the way Jesus talks about this. In John 15, 18 and 19, he says this, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of this world, but choose, but I chose you out of this world, therefore the world hates you. Boom, drop the mic. That, that's a hard statement by Jesus. 
So what I want is to make sure that we understand when I say um, that, that the world looks at Christianity almost like terminus or Christians that will eat people alive and chew them up and spit them out and hurt them. And there's a net negative. Uh, we need to understand we can't correct all of that because grace is offensive. And Jesus is not going to run a popularity contest. That's not his goal here. But if we just quickly assume all of our non-Christian friends and neighbors' opinions about the church being a net negative are you know, completely unfounded and, and unworthy of consideration, then we really miss the opportunity to repent. And we really need to accept the fact that we need to turn and repent. And by the way, Christians should be ready repenters. We shouldn't be reluctant repenters. When's the last time you repented? I'm not talking about like, sorry dude. I'm talking genuine like, man, I, you know what? Let's talk for a second. I really hurt you there. Or you know what? I didn't take the opportunity to be kind to you the way I should have. Or you know what? I didn't represent you uh, as authentically as I should have there. You, you know, if it's been a couple of hours and certainly a couple of days and you have not done anything like that, then you probably need to go back a step in Micah's mandate and humble yourself to recognize that you need to repent. Because God people, God's people are known by repentance. We are ready repentance. And so, where can we accept uh, some of the fact that we have failed to love? i got three things here in the failure to love. First is that we need to repent over our fearfulness. We have attached this mandate to love with a fear. That the church is oftentimes not able to be a people who love to love because we're so dang afraid. And it's part of our culture. It, it's, it's, it's all over your social media. It's on all your news outlets. We swim in a culture of fear. You better batten down the hatches. You better protect yourself. You better watch out because those people are coming in here and they want what is yours. And Jesus says, you lay down your life. You don't establish yourself as a castle, keeping other people out and yourself protected. You establish yourself as a bridge into the community. We don't need to be afraid. We need to repent of fear. And the way that fear handcuffs us from being loving and loving kindness. Fear and faith are like oil and water. The second thing is, is that we need to repent of our fruitlessness. I went with that too. Okay. But fruitlessness in the sense that um, our love if we are abiding in Jesus, actually produces something. But oftentimes, the church and Christianity and even your RUF group can be more like a museum. You've been to a museum lately, right? They specialize in what used to be. They study 
about what used to be. They talk about what used to be. They gather artifacts about what used to be. If you walk through the museum, you might be able to piece, piece together what used to be, but it's not alive in the museum. And the church of Jesus is to be a place where people love to love, not just talk about it or study it. Or talk about how it used to be over there. But it is experienced and it bears fruit in our reality now. And we need to repent of our fruitlessness there. We also need to repent when we try to fracture truth in life. It, it's the temptation of the church either to... To fall in this ditch or the other. To, to, to say, well, I, we are a Christian group that is dedicated to the truth of the gospel. What does that mean? We, we, we love truth. And love is over here. And so, for Jesus' sake, we are cold and hard and perfectionistic and caustic and unwelcoming to the glory of God. Right? No. Jesus says you're supposed to be a people who love the love. But by the way, you can't just opt for the other ditch where you just say, oh, you know what? Uh, I know that Paul said speak the truth in love, but we love the love part. We don't really like to talk about the truth part. Over here, we'll keep that. But we love love, right? Love. And, but if you separate love from the truth, that you basically reduce love to being nice. And I don't know if you're a fan of the Chronicles of Narnia, but, you know, as um, the little girl asks Mr. Beaver what Aslan is like, and she says, is he nice? And Mr. Beaver says, no, but he is good. Aslan's the Jesus figure in that book. He is good. He's not nice. He's better than nice. He's more substantial than nice. We need to repent of the idea that we can separate truth and love. And we need to be intentional in how we pursue it. I, I don't know about you. You might have been a part of a church or seen uh, signs or bumper stickers that say things like, you know, commit a random act of kindness today. No, do not do that. Commit an intentional act of kindness today. Don't trip over kindness. Be intentional about pursuing it. Because God's people love to love. We're willing to repent where we have been fearful and fruitless and we have fractured truth and love from one another. But repentance is always a two-way street. Repentance is turning from false faith, from idols, back to Jesus. And when we are uh, when we're locked into our idolatry, it bears disturbing, distressed, distorted fruit. But when we repent and turn back in faith to Jesus, we begin to be fruitful again. And so we need, if we're going to turn away from our fruitlessness, 
from our fear and from our fracture of truth and love, then we need to return back to Jesus to know what it is to love. And so how does the gospel help us to know what it means to be a people who love the love? Three things here too. The first thing what we see about the love of God is this. That it is lavish. The reason God's people love to love is because we worship a God who loves to love, who is love himself. And John tells us very prominently that we love because he first loved us. And he is lavish in his love. Listen to how Paul talks about the love of God in Ephesians 1, 7 and 8. And just listen here. In Christ. We have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He has lavished upon us. Do you hear that? Do you know the extravagance and lavishness of the love of God for you? Have you experienced that kind of love? Do you think God actually likes you? I know that you can theorize that He loves you. We're supposed to kind of, yeah, yeah, I know that. But do you experience the extravagance of that? My grandmother used to have uh, this bottle of perfume. Weird, looked like a genie bottle kind of thing. And she would only use it on special occasions. It was expensive perfume. And and whenever she was going out and on a, a really special occasion, she would take it out and have this weird like little stick dropper thing on it and she would I don't know why people put this there maybe some of you biology majors can tell us like yeah there's a gland there and it just soaks your whole body right <laughs> but, but it, you know it's like she would put this little dab right there and she would uh, and, 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 and I was fascinated with the bottle and I would ask her about the bottle and she's like oh no no don't touch that, 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 that that's precious to me And for some of us, we think about the preciousness of God's mercy like my grandmother's perfume that that is so precious she doesn't want to use it too much. That Jesus has got this little stick eyedropper and he's like, okay, you open it. Oh yeah, my gosh. Oh man, I'm going to use this whole thing. Jesus doesn't work in eyedroppers. He works in buckets. He is lavish in His mercy. And I pray, if you don't know Jesus right now, that you will be drawn into His grace. Not as a minimalist God, but as a lavish God of mercy. And brothers and sisters, if we are ever going to be just, if we are ever going to be people who love to love, we have got to drink deeply from the buckets and well of His grace. And so we drink deeply of the lavishness of God to learn to be a people who love. What else do we understand about God's love? It is a long-suffering love. It's not only lavish, it's long-suffering. 1 Corinthians 13.4 tells us this, that the gospel love with which God loves us is patient. He goes on to say in 13.7 and 8, it love bears all things, believes all things, Hopes all things, endures all things. The love of God is like some 
maybe your grandfather had this like beat up, rusty old truck that he loved, right? He thought it was a status symbol. He was driving around town just, you know, looking great. And he loved it. And his, his truck, it, was, it had scrapes down the side. It had a dent where it, he backed into the tree. And, uh, you know, it wouldn't always start. He loved to tinker with it. That's the love of God. That's the love that it, it, it gets, we get beat up. And it's not always beautiful and pristine like the, you know, uh, like the, the car out there that, you know, runs on, what, what, what kind of car? Tesla, Tesla. I was trying to say Taurus. That's not right. Tesla. I'm like, come on, come on. But you know that, that it's it, it's rugged. The the love of God is rugged, and it keeps going. And I know you try to dent it in and screw it up and break it down, but it just keeps going. And God loves to ride into your life. With the ruggedness of his love that persevered. It is long suffering. He doesn't grow tired of loving you. God doesn't look at you, even if for those of you right now who are trapped in habitual sin that you keep running back to day in, day out, God never tires from loving you. He likes you. His shame whispers in your ear, no, you're not worthy of God's love. You, you failed again. God has tuned you out. He has turned you off. You can't tune into Him anymore. No, Micah says, we are a people who love to love because we rest in the long-suffering love of God. And for that reason, also God's love in the gospel is lasting. It is enduring. It is never failing. Jeremiah wrote in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, the steadfast love, the resilient love of God never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. Brothers and sisters, if we are going to be a people who turn from our failures and actually become a people who love to love again, then we must abide in the good, lavish, long-suffering, lasting love of God. It is the only way that we will be a people who love mercy. Our goal as Christians is to not just to set up a new PR campaign and to show a new face and to appear to be nicer than we used to be. It is no, to sink deeply into the love of God so that as our roots sink deeply into Him, we will bear the fruit of love and mercy to others. And as we do that, we will be prepared to serve. We will be prepared to actually do justice. Not just perform justice, but love in order to do justice. May we be that people. May we not be the terminus, but may we be a place that welcomes all who are weary and heavy laden. 
And when they come, they don't find people that tear them apart. They find the oasis of God's love. They, they swim in it. It's deep and wide. And then we're not a museum for Jesus where we just talk about the artifacts of faith, but we're like a living nativity scene, nativity scene, where you walk through, you know what I'm talking about? At Christmas time, you walk through and they got a donkey. Right? And, and you get to see the little baby over there, and you get to see the donkey, and the wise men move. Our unbelieving friends and neighbors ought to be able to walk into the community of faith. Our hurting brothers and sisters who actually believe but aren't connected to a group yet. They should be walking in and not learning about love before they experience it. Because it's living. Because our love is tied to a living God who loves lavishly, whose love is long-suffering, and whose love lasts. May we be a people who love to love. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your love. We thank You that the depths of Your love are endless. That we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be filled with fear and anxiety. We can be fruitful because You are the root of our love. Lord, may we be a people. I pray even today that these RUF groups, that these people represented here will be representative of a God who loves much, who loves extravagantly, who loves lavishly. May we drink the wells of your grace, turning from our sin and turning back to the gospel of your love and grace. In Jesus' name.